Hi, Saints. Welcome to another edition of Talking Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., here to help you grow in faith and walk in God's amazing grace. This is the final episode of a six-part series entitled, Know Your Enemy, Satan, Line Number Six, God Kills People. Now, we also have to be careful here, saints, because blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will earn you eternal damnation. God's true warriors know that God is good and killing people is not on his agenda. Now put on your learning hats as I teach you who your real enemy is. All right, saints, let's knock this last lie out of the water. God kills people. Oh, that devil is a liar. How many of us, at least in the prior years, always thought God was the one who determined when people died? Mm-hmm. Don't lie. I used to think that, too, until I learned the truth. Now, have you ever envisioned that God had this big old board on the wall and, and had everyone's name written on it and this red button underneath everybody's name and God wake up every day and say, who am I going to kill today? And then he pushed the red button and say, boop, there it is. Now, I ain't trying to be funny, but y'all know that's how, that's how y'all think. That is the idea people have of God, that he is the one who kills people. Now, believe it or not, God has nothing to do with you dying, nothing whatsoever. In fact, Jesus says in John 10, 10, that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He also says several times in the four gospels that he and his father are one. So if Jesus is giving us life and God is giving us death, then something is seriously wrong with that picture. In the first part of John 10, 10, Jesus tells us exactly who is responsible for killing people. When he says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. If you have any doubt as to who the thief is, notice what Paul says in Hebrews chapter two, verse nine through 15. Now, uh, for the sake of time, y'all go ahead on and pause the tape while y'all find Hebrews 2, 9 through 15, and I'm going to start reading. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by grace, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom all things and by whom all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he excuse me who sacrifices and those who are sacrificed are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying i will declare your name to be my brethren in the midst of the assembly i will sing praise to you and again, here I am, and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, these verses categorically prove that God is not the only, I mean, is not the one killing people, okay? Paul says in verse 14 that through death he might destroy him, not it, him, who had the power, meaning, or dominion of death. He then clearly explains who that person is. So we cannot 
it confused the two. We, we can't mess that up. It's the devil. Now, see how deceitful the devil has been with, the, with these lies we have been pointing out. You know, first he gets you to believe there is no such thing as, as a devil, you know, and we know that's a lie. Then when, when some calamity occurs, who do you blame? Who do you blame? Certainly not the devil, because there is supposedly no such devil, quote unquote, that leads only God. That is why they call things like hurricanes and trees falling on houses and major floods and earthquakes and tornadoes an act of God. Do you hear me? An act of God. No, what it is, is an act of Satan. That's what it is. See, most people don't realize that Satan still has the power he had when he was in heaven before he was kicked out and after he was kicked out. Satan was known as the anointed cherub. He is anointed. He has the power to create storms. But the person who is in us, greater is he, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God has the power to stop the storm or make sure you are still standing after the storm. Okay. But it is not God who sends hurricanes and who creates tornadoes. It's the devil. But God promises to protect his people. Okay. Now most people operate under the fear of death. You know, there are many things that people don't do, you know, not because they don't want to do it, you know, or because they don't like it. It's because they are afraid of dying from it. They say, you know, I'm afraid of water, you know, that's why they don't go swimming. They think they're going to drown. But the real reason they don't swim is not because of the water. The water hasn't done them anything. It's because they think they are going to die. That's why. That's why a lot of people don't fly. They think the plane is going to crash. So they think they are going to die. Now, if you are a child of God, you really have nothing to, to be afraid of. As Paul points out in Hebrews 2.14, let's, let's read this again. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Now the phrase power of death refers to the dominion of death. According to Paul, Jesus partook of flesh and blood so that through death he might destroy him who had the power or authority or dominion of death. Now, however, the word destroy in this verse does not mean to put in a position of non-existence. When we think something is destroyed, we think of something that does not exist anymore. That's how our mind is. The word translated here as destroy does not mean that. What it means is to render inoperative to the point that it has no validity or power over you any longer. That is what Paul means by destroying Hebrews 2.14 to limit the actions of the person who had the power of death, uh, namely the devil. That's, that's, that's who had the power of, of death. Now Christ has destroyed the devil or rendered him inoperative as far as we are concerned. Now at this point, you may, you may think, you know, if God is, is not the person killing people and the devil has no, no more legal authority to kill us, then who determines when we die? Now the answer is going to shock you. You can cut the tape off and go on about your business if you're not willing to receive the truth. But if you are willing to receive the truth, just keep listening. Okay. You do. You determine when you die. Now let's look at Philippians uh, chapter one, verse 21. 
Paul says this, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that can sound like a strange statement. You know, you may think if that is all there is to life, to live out your whole life and come to the end and inherit a, a, a six foot hole in the ground and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, then dying has to be better than living to be a, to be a gain. You know, it, it, if I have less as a result of dying, how can I gain? What Paul means here is that Jesus is his reason for living. Like he is supposed to be the reason for our living. He is saying, I am a child of God. I have been born of the spirit of God. My life is the life of Christ. What I live now, I live by the son of God. There is nothing else for me to live for. Now, that still does not answer the question of how Paul could say to die is gain. Now, I submit to you that for dying to be a gain, dying has to be better than living. There is no way it could be gain if it is the end of existence. Now, if you cease to exist, there is no way dying can be a gain. There's no way. In the next few verses, Paul tells us dying is a gain and add something that is nothing short of the power of the, the detonation of a hydrogen bomb when it comes to traditional church thinking on the subject, okay? Uh, we're gonna blow the, these church denominations out of the water too. Now listen to this, Philippians 1, through 25. But if I live on in the flesh, that means or the body, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Notice that Paul does not say in verse 22, what God shall choose, what Jesus shall choose, what the Holy Spirit shall choose, or even what Satan shall choose. He says what I shall choose. It is Paul's choice or it was Paul's choice. And the only way you can have a choice is if you have more than one thing to choose from, right? If you do not have anything to do with when you die, how can you be hard pressed between the two? Having a desire to depart and be with Christ or to stay here in the flesh, you cannot. If you do not have any choice, you are not hard pressed. Uh-uh. You, I want y'all to think on that. You are not hard pressed if you don't have a choice to choose between the two. Now, many people end up dying in the prime of their lives because they think the decision of when they die is up to God. And they are taking absolutely no control of the situation themselves. Now, at the same time, God has left the situation in their hands and is not touching it with a 200 foot pole. Now, while they and God are waiting for the for one another to determine who's going to die or when this person is going to die, you know what the devil does? He comes in and just kill them. That's what he does. He comes in and just kill the individual. Now, Satan is the author of death, not God. You need to understand that. And if you haven't been told that or you have been told something contrary to that, you have been told wrong. I don't have a problem saying when someone is wrong. And by now y'all should know part of my ministry is to expose false teaching because it is the truth that set man free. And I'm tired of seeing God people suffer. I'm just tired of seeing his people suffer. You know, God did not kill your family member despite what the minister said at the time in the pulpit or at the funeral during the eulogy. God didn't take your mother early. 
God didn't take your father. He didn't take your son. He didn't take your daughter. He didn't take your grandbaby. That's not what he does. God is the giver of life. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Remember the word kill here. Underline that when you want to focus on who took your child. If your child died, died in a tragic death or died from some disease, you, your faith wasn't strong enough for you to get him healed from, that was the devil who put the disease on the child. Now, if you decide to die, God would have to let you die. There's nothing he can do about it. We just read where Paul says, I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. He does not say God or the Holy Spirit or Jesus was the one who said he had a choice. He says, I am. Now you may say, you know, they killed Paul. They took him in, in the custody and the Roman government killed him. Not really. Paul allowed the Romans to use the method of decapitation as his exit from this world. He did not have to die that way. Paul didn't have to die that way. If Paul had to die in captivity and had no other resource or recourse, it invalidated the Bible. Yeah, yeah. The Bible says God is no respecter of persons. He sent an angel to a jail to let Peter out. And if he let Peter out and kept Paul in, he is a respecter of persons. Now, as far as I can tell, there is no biblical evidence that the church prayed for Paul to be released from jail. The, the Bible specifically says, however, that the church went into prayer for Peter and that God sent an angel to let him out. Remember, Peter wasn't, didn't have a care in the world. Remember when the angel came to release Peter? Peter was asleep. Peter wasn't worried. When you put something in God's hand, you're supposed to turn around and go to sleep. You don't worry about nothing. Peter was asleep when the angel came and let him out of jail and they woke him up. Now, just because a person is in the ministry and, and may be anointed by God does not mean he knows everything. He can be just as wrong and ignorant about something as, as everyone else. Paul was mightily used of God, but that doesn't mean that he thought about everything. You know, he might have accepted his, you know, a, a great deal in his life. He obviously accepted a great deal in his life relative to being single. As far as, you know, we know, uh, he did not get married after he got saved. He went through life without a wife and that was his choice, not God's. His, because God uh, gave order that all of them could marry. You just had to have one wife. You couldn't be no player. <laughs> you can't be no player. Now the point is this, a lot of things that, that we assume are God's choices are really ours not God's because those choices are ours to make there is nothing God can do about it he let Paul stay in jail and he let Peter out but Peter asked to be to be let out okay we got to remember that you know I haven't found any evidence in my study of the word that indicates Paul asked God to let him out you got to remember toward the end it's some of these scriptures about Paul that's difficult for me to read because when he was coming to the end, Paul was tired. He was so tired and I'm tearing up just thinking about it. Fighting for the gospel. Fighting to get people saved. Fighting to lead people to the true and living God. Paul died. Never hurt anyone. Never tried to kill anyone. Uh, the disciples or the apostles never uh, put on a bomb to blow people up claiming in the name of God. That's not our God, people. Our God is a gentle God. Paul fought. He was beaten daily. 
He was thrown in jail. The disciples, the, the apostles, they were beaten daily. They were thrown in jail for the gospel's sake. Now, if God wanted to make everything happen for us, he would not, or, or he would have made us a, a robot. I've said that before. We're not robots. He would not have given you free will. What good is it to give you free will if God is going to make all the choices for you? What, what, what sense does that make? God doesn't make choices for us. He may give you an option, but we have to choose, you know? Now, if, if God was the one who was making us do things, if that were true, it would have been to God's benefit to make us robots. We're not robots. That way he would never get any back talk out of any of us. You know, a robot never says, why me, Lord? Or why you did that, Lord? What have I done to deserve this, Lord? Only people do that. Robots don't do that. Now, with all this in mind, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 18 and 23. Let no man deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Paul includes death as being yours. Did you catch that? Hmm? Did you catch that? It is not up to God or the devil to determine when you are going to die. It is up to you. You do not have to be a victim of the circumstances. No, you do not. God has put you in control. Now, how long can, can we live? I know you, you, you're asking that because a lot of people have asked me that when I told them about, you know, God is not the destroyer of life. The devil is. God is about giving us life. Now, you may say, suppose the devil does not kill me. The, uh, suppose I live to be 90 years old. Now, do you mean I can just keep on living forever and ever? Now, that's a stupid question. And I, I, I said that purposefully, intentionally. That's a stupid question. Now, of course, not exactly. The physical world we live in now is governed and influenced by sin. Don't forget the wages of sin is still death here, but the gift of God is still eternal life. And everything in it is working against you to destroy your flesh. The atmosphere itself will not let you live forever. Okay. Now, because of sin in the beginning with Adam, even though we are born again spiritually, mentally, we are born again. Our spirit man is born again, not our flesh. Our flesh is eventually going to die, but it shouldn't die early. Okay. We're going to talk about that. Now, you know, that does not mean you cannot live as long as you want uh, to within reason. However, now the, the, the man, the man I'm talking about, God says, if you dwell in the secret place of the most high, and abide under the shadow of the almighty that he will satisfy you with long life and show you his salvation now what do you think long life is now you can stick around until you are satisfied according to this scripture and if you are not satisfied just keep living just keep living until your you know your your physical body just stops okay now god says in another scripture and these scriptures are written in genesis email me i want you to email me and i so i can send you these scriptures 
God says that the years of man should be 120. So you can live to be at least 120 years old. Still another verse in Genesis says the number of our days should be three score and 10. Now one score is 20 years. Three times 20 is 60 plus 10 is 70. That is the minimum number of years you should live. And you can go up to 120. You should be happy to hear that. You should. You should be happy to hear that. Now, I do not mean a feeble 120. Nope. I'm talking about, you know, you being able to function, still be in your right mind, still be able to walk, still be able to drive. You shouldn't need assistance going to the bathroom. You shouldn't be walking with a, a crutch or a rollator or um, a walker. That's what I'm talking about. You shouldn't be in a wheelchair. Now, I'm talking about living life at 120 with a spring in your step, okay? Now, now let's say I don't get sick. I don't drown. I don't die in an airplane crash or, you know, any type of accident. How am I eventually going to die? I mean, people do ask these retarded questions, but they're, they're reasonable. But if <laughs> you have to ask questions with common sense attached to them here. Now, it is truly amazing how Christians have been lulled into thinking the only way to die is through sickness, disease, or through a tragedy. You know what? That, that is so disappointing, you know, to be ignorant of God's word. And, and I say that with love, you know, uh, in Hosea, God says in Hosea four and six, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, destroyed. My God, God ain't destroying you. The devil is you allowing him to do it by your lack of knowledge of God's will for you. And God's promises for you. Have you ever considered the possibility of just simply wearing out at a ripe old age? Now, from a medical standpoint, we are all only a heartbeat away from death. All your heart has to do is just stop and you will not be around for long. You know, God programmed it and, and it beats day after day, hour after hour. Now, suppose it just stopped. You know, I do not mean you go into a convulsion and have a, a coronary. I mean, what if it just, just stopped beating? You know, the moment your heart stops, your spirit and soul leaves your body and you are heading on to glory if you're in Christ. Now, you could be sitting in a chair at home when it happens, not hooked up to some respirator. You could be kicking back by the pool in your, you know, in your lounge and, and, and just decide, I think I'm going on to be with the Lord today. You know, it may sound comical, but it's true. Now, in case you are wondering what the Bible says about this, take a look at Genesis 49, uh, 28 and 33. When Jacob blessed his 12 sons, even though most of the scripture in, in this message are from uh, the New King James Version of the Bible, we will read these verses in Genesis and um, these scriptures from the original King James Bible, okay? I just choose to read it from the original King James it gives you uh, a better understanding of what the scripture is saying. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is it, that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone according to his blessing, he blessed them. And he charged them and said unto them, I am gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Mephilah, which is before Maron, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought 
with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Now, the implication here is that Jacob chose his time to die. I know, did y'all know this was in here? Did, did, did y'all know? And remember, God is no respecter of person. Now, it does not say that death rushed in and took him away kicking and screaming. This was a voluntary act on Jacob's part. Also notice the term yielded up the ghost in verse 33. There is uh, another important incident in the Bible where that term is used. And it is reported um, in virtually the same way in the original King James Bible by four different people. Look at Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, in, in thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now look at Mark 15, 37. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Look at John 19, 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Look at Matthew 27, 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Now, in each of these passages, it says that Jesus gave up or yielded up the ghost, meaning that he voluntarily gave up his, his life. That is what Jacob did. And it is what you can do after you have lived a long, healthy, and blessed life. There is no way you should allow death to come in and take your life before you are ready. It's no way. Now, what if you say, what about a man who, who is killed in a plane crash? Uh, and and what what about it? You have no idea what that person believed or whether or not he knew anything about the word of God or whether or not he even knew God. The only thing that is important to God is that you, what do you think? You will be held accountable for what you are responsible for. That's it. That's it. You know, what 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 about? that individual who died in a car crash at a young age. Do you know what that person's belief is or was? What about an individual who who, who died from a, uh, a terminal illness that Satan placed on him and nobody prayed for his healing? What about that? What about you didn't have faith? You just, God just heal him. That's not how God works. God set up his system to work through faith. What, what about it? I hear people often say, well, yeah, God took him because um, he just wanted him in heaven to be with him. Well, the work is done here. So why would God take your child? The work is done here. We were created to do good works here. Heaven is perfect. So there's nothing God needs you for up there. Now, don't forget, see, people scared to admit the wages of sin is death. Sin can lead to an early death. And we need to understand that too. You know, that's why the Bible says, don't, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, you be done allow Satan to come in and next thing you know, you did. Yeah, because it is Satan who is the destroyer and God is the life giver. Now, the Bible says that death is our enemy. 
Now, because Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, we have physical death in the world today. That's where it originated from. Because man was created to live forever, to live forever. But because Adam's sin, death originated. Now, because of this, everyone will eventually die physically, except for those people who, who are alive when, when Jesus returns. And, and, and uh, I, I got scripture to back me up. I can tell you now, Jesus ain't coming back no time soon. Cause there's certain things that has to happen and I see one of them and I don't never see that happening. That'd be another teaching and y'all will be shocked about that. Now the Christian who is informed in the word of God should see death simply as the means by which we transfer out of the physical realm into the spiritual realm. That person should have no fear or dread of death whatsoever. This does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that physical death is our friend. It's not. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 21 through 26, that is quite the opposite. Listen, listen. For since by man came death, by man also resurrection of the, of the dead. Um, I'm sorry, let me say that over. I was looking at something else and then looking at this. Let me say that over. For since by man came death, by man also the, the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who, who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Did y'all hear this? Let me read that last line again. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. There it is in black and white. Death is our enemy. Now, typically, when an enemy attacks us, we protest and fight him off, don't we? That is exactly what we should do with death because it's an enemy. We need to fight it. We should bind it, rebuke it, resist it until we are ready to take our last breath. And that should not be until we are satisfied enough with life to want to move on. We need to understand that death is our enemy. Now, the only time God takes someone that's recorded in the Bible is when that person is alive. They were never dead. Okay. Never dead. Now, uh, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and got so close to God that he ended up walking right into the next world into the spirit realm where God is. The Bible says God took him. So Enoch went alive. He didn't, he never died. He was actually walking and he was walking with someone and God just took him. A beam of light came and took him and brought him into heaven. That's one account of someone that God took while he was living. God never takes you dead. And we, when was the last time you saw God take a gun and go kill somebody, shoot him down in the street, and you out there hollering, why, Lord, why you took my son? What? what? Man, I'm shocked at some of the stuff I hear and see. 
You, how can you blame God? What, what, God doesn't pick up a gun and kill anybody. You need to ask yourself, what type of sinful lifestyle was my child living in? You need to hear the truth so that you can avoid this and early death. Now, and that was in Genesis uh, 5, 24, where God just took Enoch, okay? Now, then one day the prophet Elijah and his understudy, Elisha, were walking through the field and Elisha said, listen, I want a double portion of what you have. So Elijah said, well, if you see me when I go, it will be like you want. Shortly thereafter, a whirlwind swooped up Elijah and Elisha saw Elijah go into heaven. Elijah was alive when he was taken up to heaven. That's in 2 Kings 2 and 11. This is a second account when God took someone alive. You know, God ain't in the business of killing people now. And, and last, look, look, God took Jesus from the Mount of Olives in a cloud, Acts 1, 9. Jesus had already been resurrected, so, so he was alive. God was never take God, not in my studies, God has never taken anyone dead. If God takes you, he takes you alive. And we won't see your body anymore. Now, I don't know how that's shocking to some of y'all. God is supernatural. God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, why he can't do that? Huh? Why, why, why can't he do that? That seems simple to me. So God doesn't take people while they're dead. The only recordings of God taking individuals is when they were still living. They never even saw death. Now, in fact, the heavenly father does not even refer to his people who, who has physically died as being dead. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 20, you can see how he describes those who gave up, uh, who has gone to be with him. Listen how God describes those who died. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. God does not talk about his children as dying. He says they have fallen asleep. Sleep is a figurative word. It, impl it, it implies two things. First, it indicates that you are going to wake up as in being resurrected. Second, sleep suggests that you will be rested and refreshed when you wake up. Now, when you do arise in Christ, as the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 14, this is why God uses the symbolism of sleep in reference to the physical death of his saints. Now, the way I see it, you know, the Lord really has too much to lose by putting death on you. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says that both you your spirit and your body belong to God. Okay. And, and, and let's read that right quick. So you can know what I'm talking about. Um, first Corinthians six, 19 and 20, or do you not know your body is the, is a temple of the Holy spirit who is in you, whom you have from, from God. And you are not your own for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, then you are just the caretaker of your body. Your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So your body is a holy place. Now, surely God will not want any foul thing to happen to his body. Now, I want you to make sure that you listen to the entire messages after this message. And we have reached the end of this message. 
Now, I have a commentary coming up, and I want you to listen to that scripture. It's one scripture I'm going to read that I want you to write down, and I want you to, to embed it in your mind. And that scripture is going to blow your mind. So stand by for a brief message. Wow. Praise God for this powerful series. I hope you were blessed by this series. I certainly was. It doesn't matter that I taught this series. Every time I teach on the Word of God, I am continually blessed. I know we have covered enough scriptures to know that Satan is our enemy, not God. If you have any questions about this series, please send your comments or questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Also, if you would like to support this podcast financially by sowing in good ground, because we teach the truth here, and that's good ground, please go to my Anchor or Spotify homepage and show your support by contributing an amount of your choice. Now, until next time, saints, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Now stand by for my commentary about this entire series. Let me give a recap of this entire series before I move into my commentary. Lie number one, Satan doesn't exist. Well, Jesus and the apostles prove that is a lie. Satan does exist. He is the one causing all the destruction in this world. Lie number two, you don't need to study the Bible if you go to church. Now, I shared with you guys the story of Jim Jones. Jim Jones was a minister in the body of Christ. He was actually Satan posing as a minister in the body of Christ. And ultimately, he led his followers to commit suicide, all because they were ignorant of the word of God. The red flag should have been when he pushed the Bible to to the side and said, you need to listen to me. You need to hear my words. That's the biggest red flag that a false teacher can give you is by telling you, you don't need to read the Bible. That's a lie. Now, lie number three, no matter what, thank God for everything. No, the Bible says, thank God in everything. While you are in your trial, temptation, or test, thank God, because you know what the end result will be. You will be delivered. Now, what about lie number four? God is glorified through sickness. No, God is glorified through your healing. God will never be glorified through the sickness that Satan puts upon you. And that was confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lie number five, speaking in tongues is of the devil. Now we know we have to be careful here because blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this time nor the time to come. And that is confirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So don't speak ill of something you don't know about. Just don't say anything. Now lie number six, God kills people. Now, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come so that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So if Jesus came to give us life, we know who the killer is. Now, the misconceptions we have covered in this entire series are by no means all the lies that Satan has attempted to pass off as genuine truths to the body of Christ. The way you can tell what is truth and what is not truth is simple. Check it out with the word of God. 
check it out and compare it to what the Bible says. A lot of you will be set free today if you do just that one thing. The word of God is what you should use as a benchmark with which to measure any teachings or doctrine having to do with God. That is why God has made his words so readily available to us. He wants us to check what he has declared. He wants us to know his promises for us. So getting to know God to the best of our ability is something we should do every day, not just by reading the Bible, but studying it and getting to know the word as if we want to get to know God himself. That is what we are doing when we study the word. We become familiar with God himself and the way he operates in our lives. When we make searching out the things of God our primary goal in life, there will be no way the enemy can deceive us. And we can continually grow in the things of God without missing so much as one step. Now, I don't typically recommend books, but I'm going to recommend this one. It's called The Shack. I think it will be a great inspiration, um, a great book to add to your library. It's called The Shack. S-H-A-C-K, written by W.M. Paul Young. Over 20 million copies has been sold. It was on the New York Times bestsellers list. The reason I recommend this, because it is a book about faith. It is a book that teaches you that you don't always know God because you think you do. And that when calamity strikes or um, a a serious or um, tragedy strikes in your life, don't blame God for it. Now, this book in particular, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'm going to tell you enough to get you interested. This book is about a family who were uh, Christians. They thought they had a relationship with God. They thought they knew God until uh, destruction struck. They went on a family vacation and the two uh, older kids were in the water. I think they were in a kayak or either a boat, but it uh, turned over and his son was drowning. And so the father ran to save his son and daughter and he was able to do so uh, uh, to God be the glory. However, he left his six-year-old daughter unattended. So when they returned to the campsite, his six-year-old daughter was missing. So they conducted a search and they couldn't find her. And this led, this search will last from hours to days. So they came upon this shack. Inside the shack was evidence that his daughter had been murdered, okay? Her blood was in the shack and the dress she had on was in the shack. And this devastated this father and he, he, his faith was challenged. He uh, blamed God. And so months had passed, and I think a couple of years, I'm not sure, because I read the book, I listened to the audio version, and I have the DVD. So I, I um, actually um, experienced all three, because I wanted to get a full understanding of the story. How many of us know the movie is not always as the book because the book is normally or typically filled with more detail. So I got a, I enjoyed this book so much. I want to make sure you enjoy it as well. His faith was challenged because he couldn't understand why his six-year-old daughter was killed or why did God allow it or whether God did it or why did he allow it? So as years passed, it wasn't that many he found a handwritten note in his mailbox. And it said, 
Papa, come see me at the shack. Now the shack is where evidence of his daughter was that his daughter was murdered. That's where uh, the evidence was. So Papa, by the way, was the name they referred to as God. Okay. So he thought someone was playing tricks on him, but eventually he went to the shack and there he experienced the things of God. He met God. He met the son, Jesus, and he met the Holy Spirit. And it took him on a lesson. I tell you, when that lesson was over, he got a chance to know God. So this, this book will tell you that, hey, who you think God is, he really isn't. God doesn't think like us. It's an excellent read, and I really, truly recommend it for you. Now, I want to end this commentary with uh, a scripture about who God is. Okay, Luke, and you need to write this down every time you think God is doing something bad in your life, okay? Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 55, and I am reading from the New King James Version. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that him is Jesus, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him. The Samaritans did not receive Jesus, okay? Because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to com to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Now, if you can recall, Jesus had given them uh, authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and, and given them power to heal and cast out demons before all this happened. Now, I want you to listen to Jesus' response. But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them. The them is James and John and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man, referring to himself, Jesus, did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Did you hear what the Lord Jesus Christ said? And I want to leave you with one question. What manner of spirit are you? Thank you.